from the frozen lands of Minnesota. Two adventurers, Adam and usually Dave, battle the harshest internet connections to bring you another episode of the Digital Soup Podcast. Their opinions are unqualified, but the conversations are good. Welcome back to the Digital Soup Podcast. This is episode 195. Joining me as always is my good friend Adam, and I'm usually Dave. Now, Adam, we talked about this last week, mm-hmm. and we wanted to do something a little different this week because we we found a few lists that are really interesting, but they're a little more in-depth, and we thought, well, how are we going to do that? We don't want to make a two-hour-long episode. Right. So let's just skip the questions this week. That's what we figured. We're just going to yeah. skip the questions. We're going to go just with a list. And I think it's a good one. We're gonna we're gonna tackle this week's mystery. Yep. What are the top ten unsolved mysteries from the American Revolution? And I I don't know. What do you think? You think we can solve one or two of these? I bet you we can. I mean, we have the internet. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're and they're so unsolved <laughs> so far. <laughs> yeah, but let us have a crack at it, right, yeah. guys? So, in honor of July Fourth, Independence Day, let's talk about the mysteries from the American Revolution. Yeah, this list, uh, this list is interesting. I mean, you found this one last week. I guess yep. um, before we jump into the list, was there anything listener-wise we got feedback, housekeeping type stuff? We had? I don't think there was this week, right? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I know we got a couple uh, song recommendations. We'll hit those later. But yeah, we should be able to go on the list. Do you want me just to start off with number 10? Um, sure. And I think just real quick, we found this on list first. This was by someone named Deborah Kelly. Yes, that's right. That's right. right. So this is not our research. This is not our, so if there's, if there's historical inaccuracies here that we don't catch as we're talking about it for some reason, don't blame us. We're just sharing this awesome list with you. And I think, I don't know about, about you, Adam, and I don't know about listeners out there, but myself, when I glanced at this list, I had a handful, a handful of these that jumped out and made me want to do some more research, like dig into it in more in depth on my own. Cause some of these were very interesting. I thought so. Yeah. That reminds me of an episode of the Simpsons where one of them goes, this makes me want to learn more about our founding fathers to the library. <laughs> to the library. Well, you can't go to the library right now. No, Everybody's not right closed. now. You can't. Online library. Ours, uh, ours locally is doing it not to derail us already, but they're doing a curbside. Hmm. Which is, I guess you call ahead or whatever and say, yeah. hey, I want to check out this book, this book, and this book. And then they uh, they give Ours it to you. Ours is doing the same, yeah. Very weird. I mean, <laughs> for me, I, when I used to go to the library all the time, I never knew ahead of time what I wanted. It was always go there and browse and figure out what I wanted and then yep. then go from there. So, yep. Exactly. All right. Let's get to this list here. So as we said, these are going to be a little bit more in depth on each one of these uh, a little bit of history, and it's just a lot of fun to hear some of this crazy stuff from way back then. So, number 10 is the unsolved mystery of Jane McCray, would you say? Yeah, McCrea, McCrea. McCree, M-C-C-R-E-A. So, 
Jane here, she was born in 1751, was killed in 1777. So she was young. I mean, what yeah, is that, 26 young. years old? Yep. So she has a very strange story, and I'm reading this from the list. It exists somewhere between fact and fiction. So who knows where the truth lies here? But based on the popular story, she was visiting with friends when she found herself and her companions surrounded by Native Americans that were allied with the British. Now, this is... Remember, American Revolution times. Uh, she was ultimately killed and scalped because of the uh, because the general in charge of relations with the tribes was afraid of the fallout. Should he avenge her death, he just let her killers go. Kind of sounds a little iffy already. Mm. Um, according to the Native Americans, on the other hand, um, she had been accidentally killed by an American musket ball, so friendly fire killed her. Ah. So there's the controversy. Now, once the locals heard the news, they quickly took up arms with a group of rebels who were marching against British fo- British forces. Um, they had let one of their own be brutally mur- murdered. And uh, McRae's death is noted as a moment in the war when very clear sides were chosen as far as who they were supporting. Clear sides, but an unclear, like, what really happened. I want right. to see the body cam. Exactly. <laughs> right. Where's the body cam Let me footage? see that musket ball. Yeah. <laughs> now... It gets interesting because historians, they say, are unsure of how much of this story is true and who she really was even. Um, She's kind of grown because of this controversy and this mystery into somewhat of a legendary figure. And obviously, as you know, with storytelling, it changes with each retelling over the years. Um, I guess (laughs) some of the notable changes is that as the retellings have happened, she becomes more and more beautiful. Oh, she was stunning. Yeah. Like this was the perfect woman that Mm -hmm. was brutally murdered. Um, she was also reportedly engaged in later versions of the tale to a young soldier who finds out about her grisly fate when he recognizes the trophy that is her scalp. So apparently this soldier finds her scalp on a native American. Um, mm. supposedly she was yeah, killed beneath good luck a recognizing tree. a scalp. <laughs> yeah. Big bloody mass of <laughs> hair. Wait a yeah, second. That's James. <laughs> yeah. Um, supposedly she was also killed beneath a tree, which was allegedly later used for making souvenirs. How freaking twisted is that? Like, Oh, she was killed here. Let's cut down the tree and make some souvenirs. Mm, you can just say that I can, yeah, you can smell it already. You can smell the BS. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, There's a house with her name attached to it. No evidence she ever actually lived there. Now, whatever the truth really was, these stories spread like crazy through the newspapers of the colonies, everything else. Readers were rightly angered by how the British soldiers cared more for their relationship with the so-called savages who would kill and scalp an innocent young girl. And the images created of McRae went a long way in forming attitudes, not only towards Native Americans, but towards the British as well. So sounds like this was kind of politicized. Where have we heard that before? Um, McCree's mm-hmm. body has been exhumed. Now, this is, this is kind of fascinating to me, the point on it that I thought was most interesting. McCree's body was exhumed several times, most recently in 2003. The forensic investigation at that time found that her bones showed no evidence of injury, her skull was completely missing and likely stolen as a souvenir in the 1850s. So almost a hundred years later, oh, wow. someone dug her up and stole her skull. But huh. was it stolen or was it hiding the final piece of evidence and a mystery that could determine if her scalp was or if her Ooh. skull was intact or if there was a musket ball blasted through it? 
Man, we'll never know. Hmm. That's crazy. Who would, who yeah, they, they exhumed the body in 2003. Yeah, it's several times, and most well, recently. This is, you know, she was she went from, you know, just a normal person to a piece of propaganda that was used. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And, of course, you know, look at what they've done to this woman. Hmm. Right. You know, sure. and I, yeah, you know, in, I don't know that you're ever, you know, this is one, there's no way to ever know. Because the skull is yeah. missing. The skull yeah, is the one thing. Very true. It's very, either, either story could be true. Right. Yeah. Without a skull, either one could be true. But regardless, it was sensationalized probably on both sides of what happened. Oh, probably. Yeah. Both, both trying to make themselves look in a certain light, you know? Yeah. That's this, that's a great way to kick off this list. I thought. So Jane McRae. Wow. Number 10. I have never heard of her before. No. So was she was she savagely scalped and killed and the, the British officers just let them go? Or mm. did the British have a little friendly fire and accidentally shot her in the head with a musket ball? You got to imagine <laughs> there's not much left of a head if a musket ball goes through it. No. But, I mean, there should be something. Something. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. I was just Googling this and um, there's an article from 2002 Revolutionary War Martyr Remains a Mystery. Uh-huh. And it says, you know, refers, it says, Doomed Maiden, Frontier Martyr, Murder Victim, Propaganda Fodder, like I just said. Yeah, yeah. Calendar Girl. <laughs> <laughs> so um, on this year, the, and this is 2002, it was the 225th anniversary of her death. It, there was yeah. renewed interest in her death. And um, it actually goes down, if you go down to the bottom of it, it says this forensic anthropologist wants to uncover the bone damage from gunshots or other wounds and mm-hmm. is hoping to get approval to exhume the body. Oh. As I just saw, the body was exhumed in 2003, yep. and <laughs> they found uh, the head was missing, right? Yeah. So that didn't pan out. We don't know. The mystery well, remains. Somebody's I, got it, though, somewhere. Some somewhere. Collector. Yeah, it'll it'll pop up somewhere for sale for like $10 million or something crazy. Ugh. Um oh. Even a That's scalping, even more than though. Kurt Cobain's guitar. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I mean, a scalping, though, that would still leave probably good chance of evidence on the bone as well. Oh, you'd, you'd think so. You know, there'd be knife, you know, the, the scrape marks or knife, you know, indents at points where, yep. but yeah, ooh, grizzly. Yep. A lack, of, a lack of any gunshot wound to the body, though, would found. seal the deal. Yeah. Right. I mean, that was one of the things they were looking for when they exhumed. Yeah. Was whether or not there was any, any gunshots. Yep. It would be so, the, as they say in detective speak, the smoking gun. Yeah. Nope. No, uh, well, yes, terrible pun intended. Yep. <laughs> That's all right. Let's talk about General Charles Lee. Yeah. Who was a former member of the British Army. This is number nine. He moved to the colonies and transferred to the Continental Army in 1775, and it was a, a big promotion for him. And he only had one senior officer in his new military, and that was the one and only George Washington. So how loyal he was to his cause, his new cause, has long been up for debate, and it's not exactly clear what sort of damage he did to the rebel cause. So according to this article, during the last years of the war, Lee was respected for, or, yeah, Lee was respected for his capabilities as a military leader, his decisions on the battlefield, and his devotion to the cause. And no one originally questioned his former British allegiance, so he, he wasn't the only former British soldier on the field. Mm-hmm. So in December of 1776, he was actually captured by the British, and he spent the next couple of years as a British prisoner. And the events of that time aren't really known, but there's a lot of rumors, including that um, 
Lee spilled the beans on Washington's strategies and told its adversaries just where to find all of Americans' weak spots. Hmm. And documents substantiating his treason were kept quiet for a long time, and then they came into the public eye like 70 years later. So whether or not Lee was actually betraying his commander is not clear. Some theorize he was feeding false information to the British, and events after his rescue in 1778 make the object of his loyalty even less clear. So... With the Battle of Monmouth Courthouse descending into complete chaos, Washington and his army stepped into the battle just as Lee was leaving it. Harsh words were exchanged, (laughs) I bet, leading to Lee's suspension from his post. And it's just not clear whether or not he had made the right call, and as some insist that he did, and why on earth he thought talking back to George Washington was the best course of action. Hmm. Um, So he was permanently removed from the military and died a couple of years later, leaving unanswered questions about whether he was a traitor or a hero. Hmm. So I this gotta one, see this. I gotta he, see this article on his trees and four hundred four not found. It remains an even deeper mystery. Oh, they're they're <laughs> hiding it on us. Exactly. The conspiracy runs deep. Well, here's something interesting for you. This this uh, individual Lee, mm-hmm. he actually shows up in much more modern times. Really, he was featured as the main antagonist. In the in Assassin's Creed Three, the video game. Oh, really? Yep. He was serving as second in command under Grand Master of the Knights Templar Haytham Kenway. Ah. Oh. So he is. And the spoilers, maybe, but he is prominently featured in that game as well, which takes place during the the Revolution. Um, he was a character for the first two seasons of an AMC television series in 2014 called Turn Washington Spies in which he is blackmailed into becoming a British intelligence operative. Oh, I watched like the first season to turn. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't um, remember that. Okay. He's a character in Diana Gabaldon, I think is the name. Uh, and wasn't her, he in Mortal Kombat 11? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Finish <It's> a, him. <laughs> traitor. <laughs> Not a traitor. Depends on what button combination Friendship. you push. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was also a character in this this novel called Written in My Own Heart's Blood, which is part of uh, a series called The Outlander or Outlander series. Oh, so, wow. yeah, Popular interesting. Guy. Yeah, but this one, so yeah. Did he commit treason or not? That's the big question because yeah, that's the apparently thing. At, he when he came back from you know being in prison, um, he w- he was leading the advance guard at that Battle of Monmouth. On, mm-hmm. in 1778 and his attack was all disorganized and then all the confusion then resulted in the complete retreat of the American advance guard so yeah. that's when he was confronted by Washington like what the heck are you doing what are you withdrawing for and then they shared and I'm quoting here words yeah Washington had yeah. some words yep he was brought up on charges of insubordination removed from command in the army for a year yeah you wonder yep. like did he get bought you know switch sides when he was in prison they get to him and he, he was spying or was he just <laughs> they sent him back and he was just just terrible well maybe that was his plan though was to leak information but just just kind of cause chaos and you know which would cause them to retreat as they did and and give some more victories to the british side who knows yeah, or was it simply just you know he wanted washington's position and felt it should have been his. And then when Washington was appointed to those positions and, and kept, you know, staying, he, they were like rivals almost on the same side. 
And he just, whatever he did at Washington always did something just enough better to get the promotions and stuff, you know? Mm. So maybe he just <laughs> was fed up. Maybe never was a, tr- you know, traitor. Maybe he just uh, sucked as a person. Or maybe they threatened his family. Yeah. You never know. Mm. Interesting, I though. say. Now, speaking of spies, number eight. This is called Agent 726 and the Royal Gazette. Now, that sounds like a book already. I want to hear more. Right. This one to me was, was pretty interesting. It involves a newspaper. On the surface, the story seems pretty clear cut. James Rivington was a printer living in the colonies. In 1773, he announced he was going to publish a weekly newspaper with the goal of bringing the colonists all the news they could possibly need to know. Originally, he titled it Rivington's New York Gazetteer. First off, can we bring back some awesome names like that? You know, <laughs> it's, Rivington von Poofington's New York yeah, Gazetteer. Gazetteer. Um, but it wasn't long before it had kind of changed into Rivington's New York Loyal Gazette with a British coat of arms right on the masthead. So kind mm. of a bold move. Now, no shock to anyone. He was harassed, forced to flee the area more than once aboard British ships. Uh, they even hanged an eff- hanged in effigy by an angry mob. Now, the newspaper changed its name to the Royal Gazette in 1777, but when it finally came time to close the paper for the last time, he did it under a colonial guard with colonial protection. Now, mm. in 1783, the paper, which was run by one of the most hated men in all the colonies, closed. These people just despise this guy. Who's the guy that um, everyone hates in the, the media right now? Not Ted Turner, but... Um, I forget one of those news people uh, that owns everything. Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch. You know, I hear his name. People, oh, this guy's a sure. slime ball. I don't know if he is or not, but okay. Um, this guy's just you know that that day's equivalent of it. Rumors were circulating though that he had actually been working as a double agent. Some claiming that secret messages were being passed through the newspaper, and that oh. spies would purchase the paper and take it and its secret messages directly to George Washington. Evidence, purely circumstantial, but there's so much of it that seems unlikely. There's absolutely nothing to the rumor. Um, so basically, people think he's, he's you know, claiming allegiance to the British, but also he's being hated for it, but he's secretly getting word to Washington to help him out. But one of the most interesting and controversial documents is a code book that revealed the names of all the agents working for the rebels, their code names, and a number. Now, this Rivington guy, he's given a number of 726, hence Agent 726, but no aliases. So no awesome code <laughs> just name. actually put his name in it. Yeah. Yeah. We've got uh, Laser Beam. We've got <laughs> um, Spotted Dick. And then we've got Rivington. Mm-hmm. Newspaper. That is a British food, by the way, folks. Yes, yes. Newspaper guy. That's his alias. Yeah. But uh, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're saying, some people are arguing that because he doesn't have an alias, it simply meant he was a person of interest, basically, not necessarily a spy. Now, mm. Martha Washington's grandson also suggested that the loyalist printer was actually a double agent, but critics point out the man was fond of telling tall tales, especially if he thought there was money in it. Um, there are stories of Rivington meeting uh, with George Washington in New York in 1783, even though the story is retold is told and retold by a handful of different sources, it's not clear if this is true or just another product of the rumor mill. So 
Who knows? You know, it's interesting. Everyone back in the, the 1700s just had such cool writing. Like nobody mm-hmm. can write like, well, and even up until the, until just recent times, people had yeah. better writing. Yeah. I was looking at this document of this code book. Yeah. And the font is amazing. It's, it's a fascinating look, right? That's I great. mean, you start, you start seeing this stuff and <laughs> let's talk about typology. Yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah. Here, here's just a, here's a sample. James Rivington, bookfeller, printer, and stationer in New York, proposes to publish a weekly newspaper every, th- well, it says Thurf Day, looks like Thursday at, <laughs> at $1 and, ha- and, and, and half per annum, differing materially in its plan from, can't read that word, most others maybe, now hmm. extant. So, I mean, there's just language here that's like, what? Uh, he has been honored with encouragement from the first perfonages in this country and now begs leave to felicit the public <laughs> patronage on behalf of Rivington's New York Gazetteer. I never did understand why they made the S a really, really tall, like. Yeah. Yeah. F. It looks like an F. Yep. Thurf day. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's <laughs> fascinating. Cool. I, I wish I, I, some of that language is a little over the top, but. You know, this one to me, I know it's an unsolved mystery. No one really knows was he acting as a spy, but it, this one seems very plausible that this guy was able to basically kind of code messages into his newspaper and pass mm-hmm. information along, right? I mean, we've seen this in movies, I think, and you know, it's a great way to do something. You want to hide something, hide it in plain sight. It would you be know? really interesting to know if there's any, you know, cryptography people out there that could get a hold of some, are there any old scans of these old Royal Gazettes that they could try to decipher a hidden message out of it? That would be awesome. I wonder if there are Royal, what was it called? Royal Gazette New York. I wonder if I could find any, yeah, James Rivington, the Royal Gazette. Oh yeah. Library of Congress. So (laughs) there are, yeah, some... I don't know if you can read the full things, but yeah, there are some bits of information on it and, and things like that. So that's kind of interesting. I, I always yeah. dug that. You know, this is before electronic espionage stuff, you know, and people had to hide the fact that they were, um, you know, a patriot or right. know, working for, you know, they have to, all these hidden messages and all this cool like code stuff. Like I'm going to put a mark at the bottom of this barrel. If you see that mark, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's right. It's going to be obvious that there's something you got to do or whatever. Well, and you know what's crazy too when you think about that? Because that's how they would operate back then. Do you know how easy it would be to misread? Like, oh, oh shoot. Was that mark supposed easy. to be on the left or the right? Oh, <laughs> somebody's Somebody just kicked it with their shoe. Yeah. You know, the, <laughs> the famous, well, was it Paul Revere, two if by land? Was it three if by sea or one if by sea? I can't something remember. Something like that, yeah. But that's, that's exactly my point. We set up this code of, okay, I'm going to blink this light this many times for one thing, this many for another. And wait, how many times did that blink? Did you see two? Was there one? Was there three? Yep. How many? You know, shoot, which one it, was it? It's hiding messages in plain sight. Yeah. Very cool. It was interesting. I, I learned something this week too, um, actually at church about early Christianity. And this mm-hmm. relates to you know hidden messages and stuff. When they were get, getting persecuted, you know, you know, one if if two people were talking and they weren't sure if one another was a believer, right? One of them would make like a, you know, they as they're talking, would casually just with a stick draw an arch in the sand, 
Mm-hmm. And if the other one was a believer as well, he would draw an arch the opposite way to create the symbol of the fish. Okay. That way they would they would both know. And if it was somebody that had no idea, they would just think they're drawing an arch. Right. Well, it's so kind, it kind of, of like the, you see that in modern movies where, what was I just watching something recently where um, there was a, oh, it was getting caught up on last season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but there's a an alien that can jump bodies, so take control of, you know, like body snatch, basically. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to figure out who it was, but the alien didn't have memory of the history, only uh. what was current, you know. And so they were doing things like that, too, and they'd ask a question like, oh, yeah, you remember when Johnson, you know, went over here and did this thing? And the alien would be like, oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. And there really was no Johnson, you know, just yep. trying to try same kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> very cool. Ooh. So, awesome. all right, Agent number seven twenty six. Yeah, that's really that's a cool name for a band. Okay. Yeah. Easton Hospital Mass Graves. Oof. So Easton, Pennsylvania, was a small town with no more than five hundred residents, but the value was in its location. And Easton was one of those few places people could cross the Delaware from Pennsylvania to New Jersey. In addition to being a weapons and ammo stronghold, there was also a hospital there throughout the Revolution, and a lot of people were treated. Or died in the small town, but historians have no way of knowing exactly how many. Various documents recount massive numbers of troops moving through Easton, and there are many more records of sick and wounded soldiers being treated there. The hospital records themselves are mostly missing, and records from other area hospitals and trends throughout the area have suggested that Easton probably saw the same high casualty rates during the winter months that all the other hospitals did. The sporadic records that they do have from Easton indicate the hospital was full of sick and injured soldiers, and at the same time, they also housed prisoners of war that were too exhausted to be bothered to try to cause trouble or escape. Oh, jeez! Imagine. <laughs> I, I don't even. Don't uh, even I'm uh, not. I'm not going to try to run, guys. I promise. Yeah, I'm too tired. Letters talk about the unsanitary, unhealthy conditions at the hospital, and again, because it's the 1700s. Yeah. And there's no way to tell how many people died there throughout the course of the war. But based on all the evidence we do have, you can assume that there's hundreds of people that died in the hospital and were probably buried nearby. So whether in a mass grave or in a more formal cemetery, there's been no markers or records found anywhere. Hmm. The town slowly grew after the war, but the graves were never found. Oh, that kind of creeps you out because, you know, there's a high chance that somewhere there. You know, someone's got a house or a business or something that's probably right on top of some mass grave and it just caves in one day. It's nothing but crushed bones and stuff. Ooh. Yeah. Or you already well, have a haunting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, the thing what happened that happened here, huh? the one thing that stood out to me here as you're reading, talking about all the letters they found about the unsanitary, unhealthy conditions in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Can you, you know, like you said, it's in the 1700s. How unsanitary and unhealthy does it have to be for them to consider it, you know what I mean? Like to consider it unsanitary because I mean, so much of that, it's not like you were in a a surgical theater right now in, you know, modern times where it's like pristine. This was, you know, by today's standards, even their best hospital would be considered completely hazardous. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and it oh, makes me yeah, wonder, like, just how bad those conditions had to be that they were, you know, letters talk, people complaining like, oh, man, I'm here and in Easton at the hospital, but, oh, it's so bad. It's it's a dive. You know, it's terrible. <laughs> you know, it had to be mm. miserable. So 
um, Sergeant John Smith of Rhode Island stayed at Easton in 1776 for two days and made a note about it in his journal. The inhabitants, he wrote, were all Dutch and not the kindest in the world. And let's see, what did he say here? He and, his company, he and his company asked, they knocked on doors to ask for a place to warm up. And um, we could not pitch our, t- pitch our in, in his words, we could not pitch our tents. The ground was frozen so hard. So he spent the first night shivering oh. in the cold. Later on, let's see, they took advantage of some homeowners' hospitality. The reason shelter eluded Sergeant was not due to the Estonians, Estonians' sour dispositions. Smith wasn't joking when he wrote the residents had more, no more room. He and his company were among 4,000 troops under acting command of General Sullivan. Remember, this is a town of 500. Right. That's that arrived thinking. in the town over the course of his two-day stay, and he left some 900 more men under General Gates, and an Oof. additional 3,000 men under General Heath were expected to come through shortly after. <laughs> the numbers don't include the hundreds of camp followers, and among the living and healthy were British prisoners of war, hundreds of sick, wounded, and dying. And one can only imagine the strain that put on the community with less than 100 buildings within the town's whole radius. Wow. And with a few of those around, where exactly do 4,000 men relieve themselves? Oh. <laughs> um, oh, man. An outbreak of smallpox spread by the sick soldiers at the hospital caused the deaths of over 200 uh, men, women, and children. And basically, it totally sucked. <laughs> Oh man, this the, the article goes on and on and on. But That's it says there's two causes for the high fatality rates are clear from the record: smallpox and epider- epidermic typhus, hmm. which is spread by lice, and oh, it killed it, it killed more after the smallpox inoculations than anything else. Oh, gross. Yeah, can you imagine? I'm just I'm still still stuck on the idea of uh, I'm thinking of a town of 500. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, having four to seven thousand more people just flooding it. Well, yeah, and I think when we talk about like our current situation and what if you run out of hospital beds, right? This was not even run out of hospital beds. No, this, is, this was what if you just <laughs> run, run out, out of, of room? Anything, yeah. yeah. Your, your town All resources just, are going to be gone here. Oh yeah, I mean your your town literally just you know exponentially grew in size overnight. And as soon as that army marches out of there, you know those townspeople were left with no food, just a massive disaster everywhere, trampled over everything, you know, stuff I'm sure just garbage yep. and, and dead people. Yeah, and then, and then to think there's all these people dying and they've got to dispose of them somewhere, you know, it's not like they can just load them up in vans and drive them away. Right, right. So they're not taking them far. They got to go somewhere near there. No, and it says, according to this article on the Journal of the American Revolution, um, a lot of the Easton today is more urbanized than it was during the war, with much of the construction happening during the Victorian period into the first decade of the 20th century, a period where when people didn't just didn't care about disturbing grave sites, and those that were found went unreported to authorities. So somewhere mm. in Easton lies a mass grave, or maybe more than one. It's not just a local matter. Um, Soldiers from all over, even from across the, across the ocean, gave up the ghost in this sure. little town of the Bank of Delaware. So, wow, um, yeah, it's. I wonder that, how many people crazy. out there try and search and find that that kind of thing. This is one to me that I thought was interesting. This one and the next one we're going to get to, but yeah, let's hit that next one. What do we got? So, number six is the wreck of the HMS Hussar or Hussar H U S S A R. Yeah, Hussar. Hussar. So. 
According to the story, a nearly priceless treasure is sitting at the bottom of New York City's East River, covered by less than 30 meters, 100 feet of water. Treasure hunting, I'm in, right? This is I'd cool. I'd love to find a treasure. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. So here, here's the story. 1780, the HMS Hussar headed into port carrying the payroll for British troops that were stationed in the city. The ship didn't make it, though. Uh, rather than going out in a blaze of glory, it basically hit a sunken rock that ripped a hole in its hull, sent it to the bottom of the river. Now, the ship was also carrying a handful of prisoners of war who were to be traded for freedom of some British prisoners. Uh, but it's the chests of gold and silver that have had treasure hunters searching for more than 200 years. Nothing huh. has ever been recovered. That's interesting. I mean, then they know gone. where it went down. So it's, it's like, how could nothing be recovered? But the ship sank near Hell's Gate, badly injured by an underwater formation that they called Pot Rock. Accounts say the ship sank incredibly quickly, and even though there were attempts to retrieve the payroll, almost immediately... The water was too dangerous. Now that's a hundred feet of water. That's that's tough to you that's know, navigate. That's pretty deep. So I guess other attempts were made as early as 1819. Pieces of the ship have been recovered, and the site of the wreck is confirmed. But the treasure hasn't been found. The mystery, as you can guess, is far from forgotten as well. In 2013, Hurricane Sandy swept through the area. Uh, revealed part of what might have been a shipwreck from the era. Wasn't the first time divers have taken to the waters with modern technology to try and find it. Uh, as you can imagine, I'm sure a lot of people are lining up to take a crack at that. But uh, expeditions were mounted in the 1980s. And even though divers were very confident they would find the treasure that they brought champagne along, that's they were that confident. They never <laughs> found anything. It. We got it. Today's technology, we can find this. But that is still out there now. Here's Whoa. one one tidbit. I, I was looking at this a little bit. The National Underwater and Marine Agency, NUMA, it's a nonprofit foundation. Um, <laughs> they, they have an article out here um, that is posing the question of, is HMS Hussar's treasure, quote unquote, in a landfill? So they're wondering, and they, you know, they kind of go through to... Uh, break this down and everything else but they're basically wondering if this area where this thing went down and where the treasure you know the the treasure the payroll all of that ended up might have essentially found itself under what is now a bunch of you know a landfill because huh. of the way the river shifted and and how everything oh. went there so yeah. yeah good luck you're not going to find that one no so who knows? That'd be cool if you could, though. Yeah, I guess they they said that area because you can see on a map that where the area is, the water swirls there a lot, and um, basically it's it's very easy. They, they said the waters often appear angry. The currents are so unpredictable. They swirl in one direction and then another. They're always mo uh, moving and boiling like a hot pot. Um, so if that water is that tumultuous, even though the ship went down quickly. It could have dragged parts of it off who knows where. And, yeah, if it ended up somewhere near there, uh, it basically could be just in a landfill. But, I mean, this is right off of the Queens area of New York. Hmm. So, I mean, it's not like we're talking remote places. This is right, right in New York City. So Exactly. Gold in them thy hills. Or somebody yeah. grabbed it quick and hightailed it out. Well, of yeah, if, if they made attempts immediately <laughs> to get it, you know. And said, Although, oh, the waters were too dangerous. We, we couldn't get it. 
It, it, I wonder how, if that's how what capable happened. was diving back in the 1700s, though. Well, exactly. And my it's guess probably though, not able to. Well, here's the thing, though. Th- this is my thought on this unsolved mystery. This is one I, I can't say definitively we've solved it, but I feel confident in this guess. Ship goes down quickly. It hits a rock. Everyone knows the ship's going down. Yep. You know there will be people on that boat that while everyone else is panicking to get off, they're going to be thinking clearly and say, hey, let me grab some of that there gold and... <laughs> Jump off the other side as everyone else. And, you know, obviously a chest of gold is going to pull them right down to the bottom, but find a way to, you know, stash it a little bit away, throw it overboard or something, and then come back and get it. Who knows? But (laughs) I think someone made off with it ahead of time. Or maybe all of that gold and silver might not have. Yeah. Well, the gold and silver, maybe it never even was on the ship at that time. Interesting could have been dropped off somewhere else along the way and it probably just fell into some pocket and just got you know well covered you'd you'd think with modern technologies even if it's covered in mud and silt and everything else you'd still be able to ping something if there's metal down there maybe not that's true depending on how far it's buried but like you say if that water is is swirling and and doing all the stuff like they're talking about if it can't you know sent it off however far away and over the time they never found it in the immediate vicinity and by the time they did there was a giant landfill there i mean they ain't gonna go digging through that no no and now digital soup recommendations all right let's get into some quick recommendations and just take a short break from our list um i've got a recommendation it's a game and it's called house flipper now this might not be for most you know most guys that like to play um, you know, first person shooters or action, stuff like that. This is a game where you basically buy, clean and decorate houses and sell them. And <laughs> before, okay. before you make fun of me, um, my, my oldest daughter wanted something to play that wasn't, you know, one of my games. Right. And I bought this for Xbox and I put a link to it here. It's actually quite highly rated on steam and it's somewhat calming yet addicting because it's one of those games where as you do stuff, it's very satisfying to see stuff get cleaned up and sure put in place. And she absolutely just loves it. And <laughs> my wife like watched her play it for a couple hours yesterday. Um, just we were <laughs> sitting on the couch, you know, dinking around on our phones, but she was just playing this game. It's got this nice calming music. Yeah. It's a totally safe game and it lets, it lets, uh, you decorate, you know, this stuff however you want it. So if you're somebody that really likes to customize your character, customize your house, you know, whatever it is, this game's actually pretty dang awesome. It's available on PS4, Steam, and Xbox. I think right now it's part of the Steam summer sale because I remember seeing this pop up. And so it's, it's yeah, it's really not expensive. And I see they've even got some new DLC. There's the HGTV oh. DLC. Uh, not just new houses, but a brand new area, mechanics, and tens of new items. And the second DLC is called Garden Flipper, which will let you create a garden of your dreams, no matter if you're an experienced gardener or just holding a shovel for the first time in your life. Now, this exactly. looks, I, I laugh, but it's the kind of thing that I could see it, like you said, being just oddly relaxing yep. to, to just putter oh, around. And, it, you know, compared to like me playing PUBG or Warzone or anything like that, it's like, oh, sure. 
<laughs> this is like, I'm going to reduce my, my heart rate. <laughs> well, I wonder, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm watching the preview of this thing and they've got you, you know, changing sockets and, you know, electrical stuff. They've got yep. you replacing fuses and all this stuff. Uh, how much of that do you think gives a, a very general basic understanding of homeownership though? Well, that's a good point. Cause as, as she was playing it, you know, you have to install a sink and you go through each step and click on the thing to, you know, put the parts together. And I, and I actually commented like, Hey, at least it gives you a general understanding of how this stuff actually works. Cause most people don't know that you have to have a, you know, what this thing is on the bathtub, you know, right. the, the top overflow drain and all that stuff. And um, right. You know, yeah. Wiring this is done by, let's <laughs> well, say it, it doesn't look like the Sims or something where you just, Oh, let me plop no. down this thing and change this wall. And it's there. Yep. It looks well, like she you loves the to, Sims. So yeah, that's why this is really, really kind of nice. And you know, that's cool. As she's playing, she's like, "This is so satisfying to play," <laughs> and it's it's one that I really don't mind because you still get to be creative, and yep. it's it was, it was good times. Nice. So on Xbox, it's thirty bucks, but on Steam right now, it's on sale for eighteen. There you go. Perfect. Well, I'm recommending a book I got for, I believe it was my birthday or my birthday, Father's Day and my anniversary all fall within a week, so I forget which one was for which. But I got this book from my wife. It's one I've, I've had in my Amazon wish list for a while. It's a book called Wabi Sabi. It's by Beth Kempton. Now, Wabi Sabi, I don't know if you're familiar with the term. It's a, a Japanese term that there is no actual literal translation for it in English. Um, but the closest you can get to it is kind of the the idea of being able to embrace the imperfect and the impermanence of things. So, mm -hmm. you wow. know, they will making, you know, being able to appreciate the beauty and say just an example they use a lot, like, you know, pottery makers when they they'll make a, a teapot or something. If there's a flaw in that teapot, it's embracing the fact that there's an imperfection in it, that that's something to be celebrated rather than something to be mad about, you know, because perfection yep, like drives you. music. Yep, exactly. Perfection will drive you crazy. So embrace the imperfections and also being able to enjoy, uh, kind of living in the moment, enjoy things for what they are and realize that nothing lasts forever. And so it's it's just, it's a fascinating concept that I've, I've long been interested in. I've read about it a little bit here and there online. And I, I found it, oddly enough, very much an element that's present in a lot of my photo work because sure. you know it's just the way I shoot and in my kind of photographic voice I guess you'd say and so I had this book on there so and it's it's not about photography it's just a, it, this woman has embedded herself and studied the Japanese culture for her whole life if I remember right and or like 20 or 30 years or something like that and just a really really cool book really calming to read and it's one of those things that kind of just gives you a little perspective at the same time where it's like, yeah, you know, we see the, the constant highlight reel on Instagram or social media and we see all this stuff and it's always like, ah, oh, comparing yourself to everyone else, you know, and you kind of lose yep. yourself and it's a, it's a great read <laughs> to uh, center yourself again. Yep. And we all know, I mean, we don't, we all know it, but we don't admit it that yep. social media, that, that facade you put on of yourself out there. Mm-hmm. You know, you're posting your absolute best stuff and here's this family vacation and my life's perfect. Yeah. We all know you've got the same problems that we exactly. do. Exactly. You know, and it's 
Anyway, it's, it's funny because <laughs> what, what a refreshing take on things, though imperfection. Yeah. Well, the perfect here, imperfection. Exactly. This is a, God made us. This was a, a passage from this book. I'll read it to you. Talking about social media, it says, "Well, better power- be in Japanese." <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, it okay. says, "While powerful and valuable in many ways, social media is turning us into comparison addicts and validation junkies." We interrupt precious life (laughs) moments to take a picture and post it, then spend the next hour checking how much approval we have received from people we hardly even know. Anytime we have a spare minute, out comes the phone and down go the eyes as we scroll our way into someone else's highly styled life, the jealousy bubbling as we make the assumption that they actually live like that. Every time we do this, we miss unknowable opportunities for connection, serendipity, and everyday adventure in our own lives, for the mind has gone somewhere the body cannot follow. So, Whoa. Yeah. You should post that on Twitter. <laughs> I can. I got screen capped it on my phone, but yeah. Attribute it. Attribute it. That's perfectly and well said. Well said. I want to check this book out. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. I like it. So it's called Wasabi? Wabi Sabi. W-A-B-I. S A B I. You don't dip your sh- your sushi. <laughs> not in. not wasabi. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> wabi sabi. Which I'm side gonna... tangent? A second bonus recommendation: the wasabi almonds from I think it's Smokehouse Almonds, the big brand. You know, mm-hmm. those are fantastic. Okay, I'm gonna have to get those. Second recommendation: wasabi <laughs> yep, great almonds. Snack. Yes. So you can have a wasabi almonds while you read Wabi Sabi and then play House Flipper. You're gonna have <laughs> yeah. a calm, wonderful evening. This is super zen. Yeah, yeah. It is very zen. All right, my uh, <laughs> Digital Soup Spotify playlist pick for this week is Pieces by Andrew Bell. How did I find this song? It just started playing on my Spotify. You know, as Spotify yeah. introduces you to new music. I don't know anything else about the artist. I haven't listened to any of his other tunes. This one just sounded cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to really describe it. It's like a electronic rock, um, just kind of a cool sound to it. I don't know. Right. How would you describe real it? open, real open vibe, like kind of not spacey, yeah, like, yeah, no, no, not, not, not spacey as in like electronica. Spaceman, you know, outer space. I mean, more like, yeah, just a, another one of those songs that it's just kind of chill. It's it's kind of chill, but it just it feels like the song breathes as it goes. Like it's it's just got a really nice, open airy feel to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, what do you got? I went with something not quite so zen feeling. It's a song called "Far Cry" by Rush. Uh, this was nice. off their Snakes and Arrows album. Um, it's the opening track to the album, and it's kind of just, I, I like the, you know, obviously the you know musicality from Rush is top-notch always, right. but the, the lyrics of it are kind of cool because it's kind of this message about how, you know, one minute you're kind of riding high, you feel like, yeah, I, I accomplished that, I can do anything, you know, I can conquer the world where you, something goes right and you just feel great, and in the very next second you feel like, you're just being crushed as the the wheel rolls over you, you know, like, holy crap, I can't hold, you know, like this, the way life, life. is. Yeah. Exactly. It can be such, such, you know, high highs and low lows and just a split second difference. So it's kind of a cool message. So I, I dig it. Nice, nice. And do we have any picks from our listeners? We do. A uh, good friend of the show, Patreon supporter, John the Mailman. He's He went old school on us here. Is he actually a mailman? He is actually a mailman. Yes. Sweet. Yep. And so he went old school with some Lita Ford, Ozzy Osbourne duet with Close My Eyes Forever. (laughs) Heck yeah. Yep. Great song. Close My Eyes Forever. 
song. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. kind of a depressing, dark song, but just a classic song. Yep, it is classic. Yep, and then he also he also sent along another classic song from Foreigner called Jukebox Hero, which we all know. Oh, yeah. Now, interestingly enough, I could not find the actual original version, like radio version of this song on Spotify. The only version mm. of this song that was actually done by Foreigner is a live performance of this. Um, so the the Spotify playlist is going to have the live performance version of it, but we all know this song. It's it's a staple on classic rock radio most of the time. So um, there's a cool live version of it that we put up in the in the Spotify Super Friends playlist. I think I've got the uh, I've got the actual version on Spotify here. Hold on a second. I couldn't find it because the only ones I found were not by Foreigner. Ah, see, I was I just Googled it, and then it came back with a Spotify link, and it came back to their album four, okay. expanded. Oh, there we it. go. Perfect. 1980. There we go. I was one year old. Nice, nice. I'll, I'll add that one. I'll, I'll replace the live one then. Although, maybe I'll leave the live one in there because it's kind of cool to have a live I already, version. I already copied it. over it. Brought it into the list. Perfect. Yeah, sorry. To, no, that's good. Glad. <laughs> Saves me the step. Right. So, yeah, a couple uh, listener recommendations for some music. And we want you to chime in. Jesse and John, the mailman, a uh, good friend of the show, Mac. Every, you know, a handful of you guys have made some super solid recommendations. Aunt Pruitt. Um, we'd love to hear more recommendations from you. So if you have something, send it out. Hit us up with your recommendations for some songs you want us to add to the playlist as well. Sounds good. Now here's these two bozos. Hey, super friends. As you know, we don't have any fancy sponsors, but we do have some important information for you. So listen up. First, if you want to keep up with everything we're doing here at Digital Soup, including how to find us on social media, all the ways to subscribe, and even how to support the show, head to digitalsouppodcast.com. We appreciate all of your support, including sharing Digital Soup with your friends. But if you want to do more than share, hit that button that says Patreon on the site and help support the show by becoming a Digital Soup Patreon backer. Of course, Dave and I stay busy with our own projects outside of the kitchen as well. Dave is having creativity-fueled discussions designed to motivate, inspire, and encourage you along your own adventures in creativity with the Adventures in Creativity podcast. You'll find him at AICpod.com. And if you're interested in some amazing sci-fi stories from years gone by, I've got you covered with Yesterday's Sci-Fi. These are amazing classic sci-fi stories in an audiobook format. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to YesterdaySciFi.com for all the details. Man, that's a lot, huh? Well, just remember this. DigitalSoupPodcast.com, YesterdaysSciFi.com, and AICpod.com. Now then... Thank you again, all of you that are listening, for taking time to join us every week, and let's get back to the show. They say the same thing every time. (sighs) We're going to have to change that soon. Exactly. But before we do that, let's talk about Valley Forge. Valley Forge. Yep, exactly. Because this is number five on our list of 10 unsolved mysteries from the American Revolution. So according to this article, the events of Valley Forge form one of the most long-lasting images we have of the American Revolution. And I remember learning about Valley Forge in school. Yeah. Do you remember? 
American troops, mostly of civilians with little training or experience, freezing in the long winter months, wearing nothing but rags and slowly starving. A lot of people died while waiting to fight for their freedom. There's even a monument there established by the Daughters of the Revolution in remembrance of the people who died and were buried there. Only now no one's sure that anyone actually was buried there. And there huh. aren't any records of anyone starving or freezing either. Really? Yeah, that's really interesting. So there was an article in the LA Times back in 1997, which, you know, I can't read without a subscription fee, apparently. But I'm <laughs> guessing it's it actually calls into question some of this stuff. So I don't know about the accuracy of that article, but it says in this one, most of the stories about Valley Forge can only be traced back to the 19th century, and many of those were based on stories that were passed down through families rather than actual written records of the time, which huh. I do think there is still some val- some validity to family stories and family war stories. Right. I mean, absolutely. You learn about how you learn some of that stuff you know, from Mm -hmm. about your grandparents and your great grandparents. Right. But in the 1970s, the National Park Service oversaw an extensive archaeological dig at Valley Forge and they found all kinds of everyday artifacts. But what they did not find was any kind of graveyard. They found fish bones, horse, cattle, animals that had died of natural causes and um, some that had been slaughtered for food, matching written descriptions of the conditions at the camps. But surveys of the park had specified up to 15 places that were marked specifically as human burial sites, but no evidence was ever found to support the idea. So when when historians looked back at what we really do know about Valley Forge, it wasn't as bad as we tend to think. Sure, there was lots of hunger and a lack of supplies, but the troops were considerably considerably better outfitted and more experienced than we were taught in school. Hmm. So So was this one of those, I had to walk through 20 miles (laughs) uphill through snow, both ways <laughs> yeah did you just give me the valley forge treatment yeah it, i don't definitely. know you know th- this is here this is an article i've never heard this before so i'm gonna take this with a grain of salt because i can't see yep. the source well i'm gonna but. i'm gonna share I, i'm looking at this la times article right now by randy Kraft from july 6 1977 um basically he went on a uh trip a revolutionary war trip and spoke with someone named Arthur Stewart, who is a superintendent of the 3,000-acre Valley Forge National Historical Park. He said the, the second and third most often asked questions by visitors are, where are all the soldiers buried, and where did the battle take place? The first question is always, where are the bathrooms? <laughs> um, <laughs> apparently, according to this Stewart, Arthur Stewart, no battle was fought at Valley Forge, It has no cemetery. More than 2,000 of Washington's soldiers who camped here did die that winter, but not at Valley Forge. When they became sick, most were taken to hospitals in Yellow Springs, Ephrata, Lititz, Reading, even Bethlehem, where many died. Soldiers died mostly from dysentery. Oh, that old friend dysentery. Uh, Typhus, typhoid diseases were spread by unsanitary conditions. Uh, the men used corners of their huts, both inside and out, for bathrooms. Lots of, um, you know, animal carcasses. They drank from mud puddles, very unsanitary conditions. Um, so basically, that's what that's what they're saying, that not many people actually died right there. So mm. and I'm looking to see there are historic sites north and west of Philadelphia. It, it said Phil- there was no battles there? Yeah, that's what I'm looking to see. Um what that part was, it looks like most of those happened in, in towns near there, but not actually there. So, Oh, okay. 
Yeah, that is so, really interesting. Yeah, so brandy wine. Yeah, so Valley Forge was the encampment, though. That was the encampment yeah. of Washington's Continental Army, right? Right, right. And it looks like um, they they waited on high ground along the Brandywine River more than 20 miles from Philadelphia. Two armies clashed on September 11th, 1777. 18,000 British troops attacking 11,000 Americans. Biggest battle of the Revolutionary War. Uh, given the number of soldiers engaged, uh, the Washington's army was outflanked during the three and a half hour long battle. Should have mm-hmm. been annihilated, but were they were outshot, outgunned, outmanned, outmaneuvered, outgeneraled. But despite his defeat, Washington did not surrender, managed to keep his army intact. But the British took Philadelphia ten days later. So, so a lot of battles around there. But yeah, history history dot com. You know the History Channel mm-hmm. has an article on Valley Forge and it. It says, and they also give credit to the National Park Service, saying there's nothing, there was nothing, any, there was nothing out of the ordinary about the conditions at Valley Forge. Mm-hmm. They said the hardship was suffering as usual, since the Continental soldier experienced a perpetual state of hardship. Um, but there was, in the winter of '77 and '78, um, Washington described in a letter to Henry Lawrence that they have, by a field return this day, made no less than 2,898 men now in camp unfit for duty because they are barefoot and otherwise naked. Whoa. So a little bit chilly. A little yeah. bit chilly if it's December. Oof. Um, disease was the true scourge of the camp, they say, and about 2,000 men died. Um, but where they were buried, apparently, it's... I didn't find that in here, but yeah, like like that article, the L.A. Times article said they most of the most of the sick and people that were you know dying, they were sent off to hospitals in a handful of nearby towns. You know, which would make mm. sense. Why would they try and treat them there in the middle of a battle camp instead of, you know, there? Hey, there's hospitals here, 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 and here that are all on our side. Let's send them there, try and get them the best chance we can at surviving. And, oh, they died there, so these people just probably scattered and were buried in among these towns. Yeah. Interesting, though. I I, I like this one because it's it's one of those, um, one of those things that they um, look at and figure, you know, history is painted a certain way, and you find out that maybe this was just strictly embellished. So that's kind of crazy. A little bit. I mean... Yeah, the hardship part was the embellishment, right? Yeah, um, nobody starved or froze to death, right? But they made it sound. You know, I, I, you, you wonder. It still wasn't pleasant by the no. sound of George Washington's letter, but no, <laughs> just very ill prepared, I guess. But Philadelphia, we talked about that in this last one. Of course, that brings us to number four, Philadelphia, brotherly love. Yeah, the unknown soldier, the tomb of the unknown soldier. Um, uh, yes, Washington Square is the home of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And while it's pretty obvious why this one is a mystery, it's a fascinating history nonetheless, as this this article says. Um, the area where the monument now stands uh, has a long history with the unknown and long-forgotten dead. Before it was turned into a park, it was a potter's field, a place where forgotten would be buried. It was unconsecrated ground, too, and one family that's buried there, the Carpenter family, chose to do so because it was the only place they could bury one of their own who had committed suicide. Um... It was John Adams who was overcome by his uh, this sense of absolute despondency while walking through the area. At the time of the war, it saw countless deaths from battle injuries and the ravages of illness and disease. 
Uh, local hospitals weren't able to, you know, basically keep up with the injured, ill, and dying. So camps were springing up all over the place. People were dying in the camps and then just buried right there. Um, the land here was used as a mass burial plot again in 1793 after yellow fever swept through. So in the beginning of the 19th century, it's turned into a park. Now, that's a weird thing to say, hey, here's a mass burial place, tons of people dead here. We don't know who they are. It's, it's mostly unknown people. And now we're going to turn it into a beautiful park for you. So it's kind of like mm, yeah. creepy. Um, but after another more sense, of a monument, though. I would say it's more of a yeah, yeah, and that's know, how it's a monument or that's how it's become now. Yeah, after yeah. another century or so, a memorial honoring the man who led yeah, the troops was an, was erected. Yeah, as was another for ordinary soldiers who had died in the in the Philadelphia fields. But it wasn't until 1954 that archaeologists started digging for their unknown body. They uncovered a series of graves before they found one of the mass graves they were looking for, based on the area around their body. The age of the boy, who was about 20, and his cause of death, a head wound probably made by a musket shot, uh, see Jane McRae earlier, uh, yep. they're pretty sure he's a Revolutionary War veteran. Which side he fought for is anyone's guess, as colonists and British soldiers alike died side by side on the old cemetery grounds. So, mm -hmm. they have found what they believe to be the body, but they don't know anything more about him. Oh. Yeah. That's the unknown. Yeah, this one, I, I on a list of the top 10 unsolved mysteries, yes, it's unsolved because it's the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, but this one feels a little more commonplace and a little less yeah. mystery, suspense. You know what I mean? Yep. Drama. Yep. Yeah. It, it's an accepted reality that you will never know because right. they are, even on the grave markets, like known only to God. But, right, right. Um. Number three, we're back in the spy game. The unsolved death of the colony's foreign secret agent. Mm. Secret agent, man. <laughs> so Silas Dean was wealthy. Um, and he had a degree from Yale, a successful law practices. And, um, you know, he had two marriages to wealthy widows. Mm. So he was in pretty high standing. Serving in the Continental Congress, he rubbed elbows with all the important figures from Washington to Benjamin Franklin. Good old B. Frank. After leaving, <laughs> it sounds like I said beef Frank. <laughs> That's how I took it. That's how he'd be known if he were here today. He'd be B. Frank. After leaving the Continental Congress, he was given a new role: secret agent of the colonies. Mm. Whoa, that's a cool name. His yeah. mission was simply to head to Europe and recruit help from France, one of Britain's Britain. Britain's biggest Britain. enemies, and he did. So in the in the 1770s, Dean requisitioned one of his greatest assets, the Marquis de Lafayette, signed on thousands of soldiers and requisitioned countless shiploads of goods and supplies. I bet he shipped his pants and even more shiploads of weapons and ammunition. So um, with the arrival of supplies in Saratoga and time to see victory at Fort Ticonderoga, France officially declared their role in the war. And Dean's mission should have been a major success, only quite not. But wait a minute. It but wasn't wait. long after, <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> he presented himself to France's king. It wasn't long after he presented himself to France's king that things started to go sideways. He was summoned back to Philly in order to face questions about his finances and his spending while he was in Europe. Oh, no. He oh. overspent on the credit card, the company card. Accused of all sorts of shady dealings, Dean argued his case for more than a year before he was finally sent away with his reputation destroyed. 
So he made enemies while he was in France, and those enemies were in a position to have the ear of the same people that he answered to. Hmm. Distraught and in ruins, Dean published a paper that encouraged a reunion with England, which spelled the end of his career. Ugh. He left for England in an attempt to sort out at least some of his affairs, and from there the story gets a little more shady. After six years living in England and traveling the country, he attempted to return home with the help of some friends, but he never made it. He died on board the ship the day it left for America. (laughs) Some speculate that he was murdered before he could return to the country. He had done so much to help. Assassins. Yep. Interesting. Yep. He uh, shouldn't have spent. (laughs) Yeah. Taken down by credit card receipts, basically. Yep, exactly. It was a trail. Crazy. Well, we're still in spy territory because number two, we're going back to that list of of the spies in the documents, that code book from earlier. We've got Agent 355. Oh, another one. Yeah, this one. uh, Same book. Yep. Tied to the the Culper ring. That was James Rivington uh, in that code book. He was Agent 726. There was another mysterious designation, this one a female. Now, the Culper Ring, C-U-L-P-E-R, was a name given to the network of spies that the colonists had working throughout the American Revolution. Um, In all the documents she's mentioned, she's just called Agent 355. Her name was not in the book, whereas James Rivington earlier had no code name, but just a number and his name right next to it. So kind of a weird thing. (laughs) Um, But she operated in, what's that? I was going to say, maybe Rivington was the code name. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe that's not even his real name. He's like, I'm Bob Smith for crying out loud. Get it right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, she operated in New York, was instrumental in some very key moments of the war. Uh, She exposed Benedict Arnold's treasonous activities, caused the arrest and eventual execution of British spy Major John Andre. Um, She had access to some very influential people, and it's been suggested she may have been the daughter of a Tory family secretly recruited to the colonial cause. Now, information she gathered on British activities went straight through George Washington himself, but they don't know what her name really was, which seems so odd to me that they know so much about her, but they don't know her name. What they think, however, that she was romantically attached to another Culper Ring member, Robert Townsend. When this agent, Agent 355, this woman, was captured in 1780 and taken to the prison ship Jersey, she gave birth to a boy that she named Robert Townsend Jr. She died soon after birth, and for the next two centuries, her identity has remained anonymous. Her contributions, though, are the stuff of Culper Ring legend. Now, this just seems so odd to me that they know all the stuff she did. They know all this you know, people she was connected to, what she was a part of, what she exposed. She had a kid that they linked to another member and she's in the same book as yet another member with Rivington and Townsend. She had a, you know, gave birth to a boy on a prison ship, was able to name that boy and they have all that information, but they don't have her name. Was she just refusing to give it or is it covered up? That's, that's what, what if she was some like you know, famous person back then that they couldn't get her name out there? Yeah, that's uh, who knows? I mean, Celine Dion Agent of her three fifty five. Yeah, that's cool. You know, and I guess I knew there was spies and in people, you know, in these wars. But that's the one thing with this list that's jumped out at me a lot, and that I'm I'm fascinated by is just it seems like there was 
a massive ring of spies. <laughs> I mean, if you yeah. look at just the numbering, she's 355. Rivington was 726. Who knows what number Robert Townsend was? I mean, but still seven, 800, 900 spies. You think of John Wick in The Assassins, mm -hmm. which is obviously a little different, and they're everywhere. It's kind of like that with spies where you start looking at it, it's like, man, you can't trust anybody. No. Which Interestingly, is fascinating. According to Wikipedia, her, the number 355 could be decrypted from the system the Culper Ring used to mean lady. Really? Yep. So is she just lady. one of the only ladies or she was like. <laughs> I would say she probably was the only one. Kind of like being like, oh, huh. he's the man. You know, like no, according to Wikipedia. Awesome. Oh, sorry. I have talked right over you. No, that's fine. I was just saying <laughs> if that's like, she's that awesome where it's like, oh, he's the man, but she's the lady. Yep. That's uh, exactly what, um, you know, the band Sticks. they, yep. they wrote yep. a song about her. Yeah, about lady. 355. Yeah. Lady. Well, now you got to change all the words to say agent 355. <laughs> 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 Interesting. In you know, according to Wikipedia, she some facts are clear. She worked with the American Patriots during the war as a spy. Mm -hmm. She would have been recruited by Woodhull, uh, Abraham Woodhull, um, into the spy ring. And the way the code is constructed indicates she might have some degree of social prominence. Oh, called it. Called it, yeah. Famous Likely person. living in New York City and at some point had contact with Major John Andre and Benedict Arnold. Yeah, because she exposed their activities, yeah. Oh, yeah. One person who may have been Agent 355 was Anna Strong, Woodhull's neighbor. Huh. Hmm. There's some, it's all speculation at this point. But right. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Number one, mm. mystery, unsolved from the American Revolution. Did Washington know about the grave robbers? Yeah. Did he know? So at the time of the revolution, there was another revolution just getting up and underway, a medical one. So grave robbers and body snatchers had already begun to supply medical universities with fresh cadavers to mm. dissect and examine. And there's records of the same thing being done on Washington's battlefield. After all, there were many casualties of the American Revolution. In 1755, Washington issued a decree that the robbing of his soldiers' graves would not be tolerated. Do not do it. The directive came on the heels of complaints about the disappearances of a body taken from a newly dug grave. Yeah, how would you like that? You're just <laughs> buried your your son or your brother or whatever. Right. And somebody took it, took his body. Jeez. Uh, mention of the incident also came uh, comes in the journal of a surgeon from a nearby Continental Army hospital. And the mention was such that it was pretty likely the surgeon had something to do with the body in one way or another. A colleague of his also made mention of the chances for medical advancement that war provided, namely the chance for what was called anatomical investigations. <laughs> Excuse me, I'd like to do an anatomical investigation. <laughs> the doctor in question, John Warren, is profiled in several biographies, including those written by his sons, and they wrote about the number of people who died on the battlefield with no relations left to care about their proper burial and also suggested that the disappearance of the body that got Washington's attention was far from an isolated incident. It's not known what kind of attitude Washington had towards the use of fallen soldiers as cadavers, although it definitely suggested that he knew everything that was going on in his camps. At the time, body snatching was an up-and-coming up, up business. John Revere, son of Paul Revere, was later recruited by the Warren family to help ensure that students of anatomy wouldn't go without fresh bodies. Ooh, that creepy. Yeah, that's 
Well, we're not going to let these kinda, go to waste. Is that just is it just me or does that kind of put a little bit of a tarnish on the the Paul Revere like historical hero and legend and then his son was recruited to basically help this rich family uh, you know, steal fresh bodies. Well, he he was yeah, he was recruited by the bot, by the Warren family to help ensure their students of anatomy wouldn't go without fresh bodies. Now, I don't know if there were any medical advances or amazing discoveries as a result of this. I hope so. Yeah. Because it just seems downright disrespectful to snatch well, stuff. I mean, I agree. Very, very disrespectful and and just kind of sick. But then I also look at it, and there there's that other side of me that's like, well, you've got mass graves going where it's unknown soldiers. Well, just <laughs> you know, people don't know who these people are. There's no family there. It's it's not to say their lives aren't worth anything, but. If they could, you know, examine them, you think about what, even if there was nothing, you know, amazingly groundbreaking revolutionary that came from those specific medical studies, you know, it did give more, in hindsight, a, a better understanding of the human body. Yeah. Not that well, I agree with it or condone it still, but you kind of look at it and say, well, it did lead to X, Y, Z potentially, you know, so that's kind of interesting. I think there's a difference between like, hey, we somebody dug a grave and placed somebody in there, a loved one, and we right. took it versus, yes. hey, we located somebody that had no family to take care of them. They're, there's nobody that's going to give them a burial. Right. Um, so can we use this one for medical science and advanced medi- right. medicine? And there's now a we difference just have between that as... and stealing a body from a grave. Yeah. Big time. Exactly. And now, now we just have it where you volunteer as an organ donor or whatever else. But, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I had this thought. I was, I was sitting here, and I'm, I'm wondering during that time, was there any like quote unquote serial killers active? Um, because you you think like there could be a very like cool horror story here where there's like John Revere working for this mysterious this Warren family, making sure their their medical students had fresh bodies, but it's really like a Jack the Ripper type. You know, these aren't people that died on the battlefield or whatever. It's it's like he's going Ooh. out and killing people, part of a squad of people that works for the Warren family to bring in fresh bodies, you know, and no one asks questions how or why. You might have a uh, a good movie plot there. Yeah, it'd be, be kind of interesting. But the, the, the mystery here is, is what did Washington know and did he allow it to happen? That's that's kind of interesting. I mean, he well, seems like as one as one commenter on this story points out, mm-hmm. if Washington issued a decree that Robin Graves would not be tolerated, then he knew. Well, he had to have, yeah. <laughs> he said, "Don't do that." Right. But may, you wonder though, how much did he know to what extent it was happening, or was did he issue that after it had been going on for a while and it was just brought to his attention? You know what I mean? It could have been something where it had been going on for a long time, and he just found out about it and was like, "Hey, this is this is knock it off. That's bad." It's kind of like scolding your your dog after it craps on the floor, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it also yeah. it also could have been a PR move where, you know, what's he gonna say? No, I'm okay with that. You know, if people right. found out that he knew, he's got to come out and say, "Nope, I will not tolerate that." Whatever, and yeah. make That's an example of one or it, two. Yeah, it's possible people. Some people knew about it, and then it didn't rise to him until there was a complaint. Sure, or anything. but yeah. um, as with anything, you know, we're looking at history here, and this list is written by somebody, and these mm-hmm. are coming from articles. These are mysterious, but I mean, 
we don't know any true answers, of course, for for any of this stuff. Yeah, um, you know, we we know what we know, and that's you know, not if, a lot. If you heard anything in our discussion here that doesn't ring true to you, let us know. Go check out the actual source. Do a little bit of research yeah. because I mean, there's a lot of historical resources, legitimate historical resources. You know, like History Channel and right. This, you know, published documents that kind of cover this stuff. Kind of like the, uh, what got me saying this stuff is as I was thinking more and more about the, the Valley Forge stuff, uh-huh. this is one of those things where this article is kind of like, it wasn't really that bad. And then we go and read the history channel. Like, Hey, yeah. I have 2000 guys without shoes out here. Right. That right. sucks. Don't tell me it was a walk in the park. You yeah. know what I mean? So grain of well, salt with all of it, but the, the thing about like uh, doing lists like this, I mean, we have fun with some lists like top barbecue foods and stuff like that. And those are fun lists to do. Mm-hmm. But the thing I like about a list like this is that even if the information isn't, you know, 100% accurate or we we can't verify that because, you know, we're we're not the ones who made the list. It gives you enough information where it makes you want to look into something and learn something. And makes makes me want to look exactly. at it and say, oh, hey, this is that sounded interesting. Let me look that up. You know, now with the internet, it's so easy to just go digging, you know, and see what you can find. Hit your libraries if you have those, you know, whatever it is, and and just see what you can put together. And, you know, because really that's one of the best ways I find with anything that in kind of historical in nature, if you can have it presented in in a kind of a mystery format where you have to kind of seek out the information and, and uncover it for yourself, even though others have done it already, it just makes you that much more engaged. And I think you, you have more fun learning about it. You know, the, knowledge the, is power folks. Exactly. And it's, it's always fun to learn something while, yep. while kind of blasting through. So I hope you, you know, listeners, I hope you guys have enjoyed yeah. a list like this. Um, they're, yeah, a little more just, serious tone to it. Yeah. A little more serious, but it's also, you know, it's, it's, what do they call that? Edutainment where, <laughs> You know, entertaining, but also <laughs> you got two people that don't know cool anything about it and... talking about it. You got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Something fun, something different. So we'll be back yeah. with a new list next week. But That's right. So happy Independence Day. Mm-hmm. Um, celebrate, have a hot dog or whatever you want. And uh, yeah, we appreciate the listen. We'll catch you next time. Take care, guys. Thank you for joining us. And come back next week for another cracking episode of The Digital Soup Podcast. This has been a Digital Soup production.